0: This is Global Tennessee, news, analysis, and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, non-profit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants.
1: Welcome to Global Tennessee. This is the podcast of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm Pat Ryan, the president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Today we're going to introduce a new program in our Global Tennessee podcast series. And for now, we'll uh, dub this the Wide World with Dick and Pat. I'm here with Ambassador uh, Dick Bowers. and uh, My name is Pat Ryan, and we are going to bring you today a, uh, a full broadcast uh a uh, special program where uh, Dick and I will be talking about international events, uh, analysis, commentary on global hot topics, trends, and special interest items. Uh, ambassador Bowers is a uh, veteran of international affairs through his service in the uh, U.S. Army and then a career as a Foreign Service officer and eventually uh, ambassador to Bolivia. Uh, my background is uh, 26 years in the Navy where I was a naval intelligence analyst. Uh, traveled to uh, a number of countries. I think, Dick, you said uh, how many countries might there be between the two of us? I
2: think we could easily hit 120. I did with my grandkids. They wanted to know how many I had been to, so we sat down with a map a couple of years ago. And We hit 100.
1: I had 60, so... Uh, well, we got 160. There's <laughs> that's, might, a, that's a lot of butt time. <laughs> there might be a little... Sitting uh, on the plane. A little overlap. Well, some of, some of mine were, uh, were pulling into ports on, on ships, but uh, I think we, we lack Antarctica in, in the continent count. So, so, we'll have to keep that uh, on the bucket Put list. Put it on the bucket list. So, this is going to be an occasional uh, podcast uh, presentation of the uh, the Global Tennessee uh, program, and uh, we hope to bring you uh, some insights into what's going on in the world, and, and also discuss what's happening at the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, so, we'll uh, we'll start out uh, first with uh, a little information about the World Affairs Council, and one of the programs that uh, may be of interest to you, especially if you are a member is our member privilege, uh, member benefit uh, program called Global Eats. And this is a uh, opportunity about every month. Uh, members get together and we go out to an international eatery in Nashville. And we have a speaker along with us to talk about uh, this or that particular country. And in the past, uh, the most recent uh, Global Eats program we had at the Istanbul restaurant out at Nolensville. And uh, a wonderful uh, Turkish meal. And we had uh, Professor Dan Schaefer from Belmont University talk to us about uh, issues in the. Uh, he's a history professor, and he talked about the Ottoman Empire and transition to the Turkic uh, language and alphabet. And it, it was actually a fascinating uh, view into how how uh, people adapt in changing political regimes. Uh, so we enjoyed that. But the the next. Um, Global eats that we're going to do is uh, the Seoul Garden restaurant. What did you think about that, Dick? We'd
2: I thought it was great. I uh, I am not an expert on Korean food, but uh, I know you and I had different dishes, and it was just excellent. Uh, service was good. The ambiance is fine, and the food was just super yummy.
1: So, as uh, as a public service of the World Affairs Council, Dick and I will continue <laughs> to explore. Uh, lunchtime uh, places and and get those on the calendar for global eats so check the tnwac.org website for information about uh, that program and more uh, take a look at uh, the calendar uh, it's on the menu bar there on the world affairs council website and also uh, look at uh, becoming a member or supporting the world affairs council Because we like to talk and you like to listen, and to do those things, we need somebody to pay for the light bill. So we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, uh, but we do uh, need your support. So please take a look at the World Affairs Council website, consider becoming a member, or making a donation. Uh, Just a reminder that uh, we're going to be talking about a number of articles and books and other things during this podcast, and you can check uh, for the links to all those in the, uh, the podcast notes um dick anything more that uh, you want to put in context or background what uh what we're about here in terms well, of I, i'm just
2: kind of i'll just throw out the old chinese curse may we live in interesting times uh
1: well yeah i, I think <laughs> we certainly do and we certainly do uh this uh this episode of uh, the wide world we're going to start um with a segment on 2018 the year in review we'll We'll look at a uh, report from the Council on Foreign Relations, the ten most significant world events in 2018, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll kick around the notion of whether we agree with their list or if we have other uh, events to add. And we might uh, address the question of people of the year. I know Time Magazine uh, selected uh, journalists uh, specifically uh, Jamal Khashoggi, and uh, that uh, that might uh, be uh, an item for us to to discuss who uh, who were the notable people of the year or uh, organizations or, or uh, trends or things that uh, we will remember 2018 by. Uh, but first, um, let's take a look at uh, the Council on Foreign Relations' top ten most significant uh, world events. And, again, we'll have the uh, link to this on the podcast. Um, Dick, do you want to uh, start uh, down the list there, and, and we can uh, decide whether— we agree with the Council on Foreign Relations or not?
2: Well, number 10, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, is the Democrats win back the House. So in their perspective of the Council, uh, that event is gonna change how the United States relates to the world. And I think we will see a lot of different kinds of things coming out of the Congress, including exercising a lot of its oversight powers to dig into questions that the previous Congress was reluctant to do so. That's number ten. Number nine is humanitarian crisis deepens. Uh, that's a real kind of broad headline for right. There's all a sorts there's of a lot stuff tucked going in there, on there yeah. <laughs> including refugees, the Middle East, Yemen, Venezuela's collapse, uh, education and health. It goes on and on the congo south sudan
1: i think one uh, one number that's that uh, jumps out from the uh, cfr report is 2.3 million venezuelans have fled the country and that's not only uh, an impact on what's going on in venezuela but the, the surrounding uh, countries uh, uh, colombia has uh, absorbed a tremendous number of those brazil as well it's created uh, a lot of tension and and trouble. Yeah, the Brazilians uh, the are
2: talking about closing their borders, which is something that never happened before. Brazil was a real entrepot of people from all over the world. So.
1: And I suspect uh, some of that uh, carryover will also affect the issue at our southern border, which is already uh, contentious over the issue of Central American uh, migrants fleeing the trouble in uh, Honduras, Guatemala, and uh, El Salvador. So uh, uh, the, uh, the question of humanitarian crises, and it's, it's not just in, uh, in Latin America where we see uh, problems that affect U.S. interests, but clearly uh, the Yemeni civil war, uh, it's in its fourth year. Uh, Yemen is uh, at risk of becoming the worst uh, famine-stricken country in uh, the last hundred years. Uh, cholera is rampant. The civil war uh, goes on. Um, the, uh, the civilian population is is under siege. uh,
2: Well, in many respects, this is a proxy war between the Saudis and the Iranians. Yeah. And uh, Iranians backing one side and Saudis backing the other, but we're backing the Saudis. So there'll be a lot of information coming out, I think, about the role of the United States in this conflict and what we should or should not be doing because we are not an innocent bystander.
1: Well, clearly uh, the, the the question has uh, risen to the, the fore with uh, the U.S. relationship in Saudi Arabia being questioned after the October murder of Jamal Khashoggi and the question of whether the crown prince, who, uh, given the condition of the king, uh, who who is believed to be suffering from dementia, the crown prince may in fact be the de facto uh, ruler of Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, the, the president has said regarding uh, Mohammed bin Salman's complicity in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, even though...
2: Yeah, our intelligence community, all intelligence agencies say there's absolutely no question but that he was either ordered it or involved
1: in it. Right, I think uh, after... uh, President
2: Trump refuses to uh, stand up for what I believe should be a high moral ground statement on, wait a minute, we don't sanction murder.
1: I think uh, after Gina Haspel, uh, the, the uh, Director of Central Intelligence briefed the Senate, uh, Senator Bob Corker came out and, and uh, uh, his quote was something more to the effect that in 30 minutes a U.S. jury would find the Crown Prince guilty of uh, being involved in conspiracy to murder. So uh, the, uh, that has brought to attention the, the civil war in Yemen. Uh, it's also brought uh, to attention the uh, the split in the Gulf Cooperation Council with Qatar. Uh, so these uh, these issues uh, are interconnected, humanitarian crises in different places. And of course, getting back to Venezuela, uh, we have uh, concerns about the uh, the leadership uh, of uh, Venezuelan President uh, Maduro, um, and that's uh, that's a contentious issue. There's, I think, there was a press report that. There were conversations in the administration about a military action in Venezuela, and that that was quickly tamped down. But uh, it it certainly highlights. Well,
2: Maduro just started his second term. There was there was hope that maybe be, you know he would step down since he was quote re-elected by a legal process, mm-hmm. but he's he's taken over. Let me just throw out in Africa we've got some interesting humanitarian things going on. South Sudan. And Sudan continue to have issues politically, and there's wars going on over there. Central African Republic, uh, huge humanitarian crisis. Democratic Republic of the Congo just had an election. It looked like they're going to have a change of government, and the outsider is going to become the insider. Mm -hmm. Um, Syria in the Middle East, of course, is a huge mess. And uh, I think today on the reports, the U.S. troops are starting to pull out, and there's been a lot of buy back on what kind of a humanitarian shortfall is going to hit that country when we leave, especially with our allies, the Kurds, who are not viewed friendly by the Turks and uh, sit across Land that is in Iran and Iraq and Turkey, and they have no homeland of their own. So right, and then the whole refugee thing going on in Europe. It's still we don't not t- not talking about it, but a lot of people are still trying to get into Europe out of Africa for both economic reasons and for persecution, uh, fear for fear of their their
1: lives. So. Well, the tragedy that uh, Syria has become is uh, uh, is more than the the half a million people, uh, the number that's uh, that's being considered as. Uh, those who perished in uh, the civil war in Syria, but then there are the millions of internally and externally displaced uh, people, uh, many of whom uh, over the years have fled via Turkey and the Balkans and have wound up uh, in, in places as far uh, flung as uh, large numbers in Germany and uh, England as well and France. And and there's continued refugee flow across the Mediterranean from uh, sub-Saharan Countries and even uh, Afghani uh, uh, refugees flowing into Europe, and uh, you know we we talked about uh, the interconnection of uh, the civil war in Yemen with uh, humanitarian issues, Uh, but uh, it's not just limited to Yemen. These uh, these refugee flows have political consequences uh, around the world as we see. Oh, we
2: go, go over to Asia, the Rohingya, and, and, and Myanmar, what's right, going on there.
1: In, in Bangladesh. Uh, Bangladesh. But we look at things like the the Brexit vote in, in the UK. Uh, there's uh, profound concern among Brits that uh, the, the population, the demographics are changing due to large numbers of of uh, migrants coming into the country and populist movements in, in Western Europe. So these things are all related.
2: Number eight on the list, which is uh, one that I did not expect to see there, but I think it should be. Ethiopia signs a peace deal with Eritrea. Now, all of you folks go out there and get your geography books out. (laughs) And so there's Africa. It's in Africa, right? So if you think about Africa. The horn. And the horn on the right-hand side, east there, right? Um, These people have been at war for a long time and something like 18 years uh, they've been trying to get a peace deal, and they finally did, so it's a big deal.
1: Well, and, and some of us have been around long enough. Um, that although I was a very young sailor, we pulled into Massawa, Ethiopia, in what is now the Eritrea portion of the country, before the, there was a split. And you may recall the Emperor Haile Selassie, uh he was uh, uh reigning at the time and visited our ship we had uh wow. we were part of ethiopian naval festival the russians were there the french the german or excuse me the brits indians and uh, it was quite an interesting occasion but uh that was ethiopia at the time it split uh not too long after that um after conflict in the 70s selassie was uh dethroned and uh the, uh, the conflict between Eritrea and Ethiopia has been going on uh, I think for about uh, 20 years or so now, and uh, the, the two countries fought uh, an active war that ended in 2000 with nearly 80,000 dead. One more conflict around the world that doesn't make headlines, but uh, part of the good news of 2018 was that they've, uh, they've signed a, uh, uh, an agreement to end hostilities and restore Relations, uh, So that's uh, some good news in the Horn of Africa.
2: Number seven, according to the council, Trump's summitry alarms friends and delights foes. So our president likes to travel. I don't know. I have not seen how much money has been spent on his travel, but I'm sure it is in the millions. And one of the things he does when he travels is he meets with people that normally he wouldn't do, like when he went and met with the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, and they signed some kind of a vague uh, communique that declared there's no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. But I think other people will say, well, yes, there is still a nuclear threat from North Korea. He uh, also went to the G7 summit in Quebec, and unfortunately our president seems to have a style which berates our friends. And then he said, quote, that he fell in love with the dictator of North Korea. So that causes problems for me. But He likes to travel. He's been around a lot.
1: Well, one of of the features of uh, some of these summits has been the uh, contentious issues among our allies, especially uh, Angela Merkel in in Germany. I think it was the NATO summit in uh, the summer in which... um, uh he uh, he charged merkel and, and germany being uh, captive to russia and there was conversation about the uh the oil pipeline and and i i think that might have stunned uh, our allies to uh, to to have that kind of open uh, accusations against uh, what uh, what their policies were so we've uh, we've seen in in 2018 um probably a, a diminished uh relationship and in 2017 um we were heading in, in that direction of having some contentious issues with, uh, with our allies in, the, in NATO, but uh, certainly uh, 2018 saw that uh, the relationship was continued to sour.
2: I just read that the 2019 there, there will be a NATO celebration of the 50th anniversary of the founding of NATO in Washington, D.C. And normally these kinds of things, you have heads of government uh, who come in this case, it's going to be the foreign ministers. And the effort is to Trump-proof this meeting so that he would have no reason to come because there would be no other heads of government that would be there.
1: An uh, it, it, interesting relationship uh, among uh, the president and, and his uh, counterparts and, and these various other uh, collections of... Um, of countries, the NATO uh, collective and the uh, the G7 and ASEAN and uh, other bodies that get together, and his relationship with them, and we'll we'll continue to watch how that plays out in uh, 2019. One one of the uh, uh, summits that uh, drew some attention was when he met uh, Vladimir Putin in uh, Helsinki, and I think the takeaway there was uh, the surprise that he met alone other than with, a, with the translator, with uh, the president of Russia. And really no one has yet definitively said what the outcome of that was, what was agreed to. It was a rather lengthy uh, private meeting, and uh, it drew a lot of criticism because it was uh, not, uh, not a, he was not accompanied by his national security advisor or the secretary of state or any of the other handholders who typically would go into uh, that level of, of meeting meeting. And, of course, there's still the, the question about uh, the relationship between uh, the presidents of the United States and, and Russia and the ongoing uh, uh, investigation of the special counsel into the meddling in, in 2016.
2: You know, in my career as a diplomat, uh, I became more and more aware of and enamored with the idea that process determines outcome. If you don't have a process uh, in diplomacy, you are in trouble. And it bothers me that our president tends to wing it. So the idea that you're meeting with the head of an adversarial country like Russia for a couple of hours and there's nobody in there taking notes, nobody saying this was agreed to, this is what's going to happen, who's supposed to follow up, how's all this work? So we're in a different age as far as uh, the way in which diplomacy is carried out these days.
1: Well, certainly the same applied to the uh, uh, the summit in Singapore with uh, Kim Jong Un. Yeah. That it was a private meeting, except for translators and and no one um, outside uh, the immediate circle, if if at all, uh, really knows what uh, what what happened there. Other than uh, we went from fire and fury to uh, a love fest. So we'll see how that plays out. Because clearly, the intelligence community is not convinced, and there was reporting in December of uh, reconnaissance of, uh, of uh, facilities in North Korea that indicated that they were not backing off their nuclear program and their public pronouncements accusing uh, the United States of uh, continuing to pose a threat and that they would never denuclearize as long as uh, we continued to uh, to be in that threatening posture uh, existed. So uh, still, uh, still some... Distance to travel and the uh, the threat from North Korea and the U.S. relationship and the relationship between Mr. Trump and uh, the uh, the leader. So what's your what's of, your opinion?
2: Are we going to have uh, success in 2019 in North Korea?
1: Well, let's we'll get to 2019 after the break. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's uh, press on. The number six on the uh, CFR list here is the uh, hashtag Me Too movement goes global. And, uh, they, they point out that, uh, the, uh, the abuse, uh, sexual abuse allegations that, uh, started principally against, uh, Hollywood's, uh, Harvey Weinstein, um, became more than just, uh, an isolated event and not just, uh, contained within the United States, but, uh, at the, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations points out that it was, uh, an international phenomenon and, um... Uh, uh, points to the uh, 2018 Nobel Peace Prize that was a- awarded jointly to uh, Congolese physician uh, Dennis uh, Mukwege and Yazidi uh, assault survivor Nadia Murad, quote, for their efforts to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war in armed conflict. So the, the question of sexual abuse and especially the, long, uh, uh, the long-term question of sexual violence used in, in warfare Uh, in some of these uh, conflicts around the world, uh, came to the forefront uh, in 2018 and received more attention than it had previously.
2: Number five, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And that was a fascinating kind of story to follow from my perspective. Uh, Things kind of unraveled on the Saudis when the Turks somehow came up with a... Intel tape or bugging tape of what went on inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and the fact that this that the Turks would make that public reveal their sources and methods which is something that most Intel guys will die for to preserve sure um, it, it is no doubt in, in my mind that it traces back to the Saudi prince and I am, most disappointed with my government's reaction of saying, of just saying, well, we don't know if he did or if he didn't, as you said, Pat. So it's a real problem.
1: Well, uh, for this, story, this story for me is uh, particularly interesting. I, I've, uh, I knew uh, Jamal Khashoggi from my time uh, writing about uh, Middle East affairs uh, for various uh, newsletters that I published. And I first met Jamal Khashoggi in uh, uh, in Jeddah when he was the deputy editor of Arab News in 2001. Um, and I've known him over the years uh, as I continue to write newsletters about Saudi, U.S. relations, and Gulf affairs. Uh, met him a number of times at conferences and uh, talked to him uh, when he was the special advisor to Prince Turkey al-Faisal as the ambassador to the United States. And uh, did some interviews and, and kept in touch, uh, as as colleagues uh, from conferences often do. When you want to just uh, synchronize with someone, we would uh, have a conversation or an email exchange. So uh, to see him as, uh, as the victim of this heinous crime uh, was really quite shocking. And I'm, I've been following it uh, all along. And, and I think today is day 100 as we record this uh, podcast uh, from the day that he was— uh, killed in uh, Istanbul, so it's uh, particularly um, something on that I'm uh, following closely, and I'd, I agree with you. For those of us who followed Saudi Arabia and what goes on in Saudi Arabia for any amount of time, it's, not, it's just not credible that this could have happened with the figures who were uh, uh, claimed to have been involved without the, uh, the crown prince having uh, knowledge uh, at a minimum and uh, perhaps uh, more uh, direction in, uh, in in this uh, this crime. Uh, Jamal was uh, someone who was critical of Mohammed bin Salman, um, and uh, and shown a light on some of the abuses that uh, continue to go on in the kingdom. So he was clearly a target of uh, of the crown prince, and uh, it just doesn't make sense that we uh, we have a policy where maybe he did or maybe he didn't. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, I I, I uh, believe strongly that the the free press is fundamental for a democracy to work, in. and the idea of a state purposefully murdering someone who's in the press is just abhorrent to me. But at the same time, abhorrent to me is uh, name calling and you know the whole idea of fake news and what's all that about and trying to demean the uh, press in a way that. Basically, is set up to strengthen the strongman, to strengthen the you know, guy who wants to be a totalitarian leader. We don't need checks and balances, and we don't want the truth. We'll tell them what they need to know. So it's a real problem for me.
1: Sure, and and uh, we talked about the Time Magazine Person of the Year, and Jamal was on the cover. And uh, even though it was it was him on the cover, it, the uh, the Person of the Year, I think Time actually. Uh,
2: yeah, they spread that around to a number of other they, journalists they said who it had was been, you know,
1: journalists that, in, in general. And, and you're right, the, yeah,
2: Asia. The you know the, the the Bangladeshis had arrested some guys who who didn't like the reporting on the Rohingya issue and things yeah. of that sort.
1: Yeah, and it's it's not just uh, the U.S. press that's being charged with being fake news and the enemy of the people. That uh, that's being picked up by authoritarian uh, regimes around the world going after journalists in, in a way that uh, they had seldom done before.
2: Well, another big kind of program and idea for what happened back in 2018, the US pulls out of the Iran nuclear deal. I am one who thought that uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action was a good deal. It wasn't a perfect deal. It did not include all of the concerns and and issues we had to take up with the Iranians, but it did stop their pursuit of a nuclear weapon. And why you would not want that to continue, I don't understand. So maybe, you're an old Middle East guy, Pat, you can explain that all to me.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I I agree with you, uh, Dick, that uh, the JCPOA, the JCPOA as it's uh, referred to, was uh, a good deal at the time. Uh, It opened uh, the conversation with Iran, and clearly Iran still is uh, what some people would call a bad actor in the region. Uh, They are active in uh, in efforts uh, throughout the region to destabilize regimes from Yemen. um, uh, Ever since the United States' um, involvement in the the overthrow of Saddam Hussein and the destabilization of Iraq, Uh, uh, Iran has gained a very strong uh, foothold and uh, uh, sway in what happens uh, in Iraq. And uh, the, uh, the United States has, has seen, and, and our allies in the region, have seen what's called the, the Shiite uh, Crescent extending from Iran directly across the corridor through Iraq into Syria and Lebanon, where uh, the Iranian proxy group Hezbollah is, is active, um, and that concerns our, our ally Israel, so uh, Iran has, uh, uh, you know, some some things to uh, to deal with that uh, the United States cannot look away from and, and must uh, uh, continue to uh, to emphasize. But the the nuclear program was not in that same bin. Yeah.
2: Well, if my memory serves me correct, Pat. Secretary of Defense, General Mattis, was one of those cabinet officers who argued to stay in that agreement. He did. That, I mean, while the agreement wasn't perfect, it was certainly better than having no agreement. And, you know, being surrounded, Trump's generals uh, try to get him to look at the positive sides of some of these things, but... uh, I don't think they have much success.
1: So the follow-on to uh, the announcement by the president that we were leaving the, the uh, Iran nuclear deal has been that, uh, you know, the deal was not just between the United States and Iran. It, it was uh, a partnership, the P5 plus one, the permanent five members of the U.N. Security Council plus Germany and uh, the European Union. Uh, the others uh, are continuing to honor uh, their they're portions. they still in the deal. They're, they're still in the deal. And uh, the United States has threatened that uh, sanctions uh, uh, will—second-level sanctions will be levied against organizations that don't comply with the U.S. sanctions. So we're now not only uh, uh, breaking with any understanding with Iran over their nuclear developments, we're also building another level of animosity among our European partners as they try to stay in the deal and protect their companies— and the United States is putting sanctions on on European companies that uh, continue to operate under the Iran nuclear deal that we were once a party yeah, to. It's
2: not not the best way to deal with your friends.
1: No. Uh, Number
2: 3, which is another big one here, Pat, climate change. Dire warnings mount, right? And uh, we have pulled out of the climate change agreement accord. The rest of the world is staying in, with the exception of one or two countries. I think uh, Venezuela is one of them, and North Korea may be one of them. It's uh, a huge crisis, and it is very disturbing to me that we are not in the leadership position on this. Uh, and instead of saying, "Hey, you know, this is a real issue, a real problem," we have senior level and the highest level, the president even denying the science that, hey, we've got to do something, we're in trouble.
1: Well, a couple of uh, reports that came out this year, Dick, that uh, pointed towards the, the degree of trouble. In uh, October, the U.N. issued a report under the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, that talked about uh, the urgent changes needed to cut the risk of extreme heat, drought, floods, and, and poverty and they said that uh, the world basically has 12 years to limit the uh, climate change catastrophe. And it would be a big enough job to uh, to deal with that in that amount of time if everyone was unified and pointed in the right direction, the same direction. But unfortunately, the, uh, the atmosphere, not to make a pun, but... Uh, the uh, the atmosphere in Washington for uh, moving forward on uh, on climate change. As you said, we pulled out of the climate change, the Paris Agreement, and we st- still seem to have uh, people who are doubting the science and, uh, and uh, bringing about policies that just uh, don't address the issue. And it's kind of interesting that in November, following on the heels of the U.N. report, the U.S. government uh, itself released a uh, climate assessment uh, the official uh, fourth comprehensive look at climate change uh, that uh, started in the year 2000, and these are periodic reports. And this one was called the U.S. Global Change Research uh, Program. And uh, the, au- the authors of that uh, argued that, uh, quote, the uh, that global warming is transforming where and how we live and presents growing challenges to human health and quality of life. The economy, the natural systems support us. And it concluded that uh, humans must act aggressively to adapt to current impacts and mitigate future catastrophes to, quote, avoid substantial damages to the U.S. economy, environment, human health, and the well-being over the coming decades, unquote. So there you have it. The Our own government reporting uh, says one thing, but our policies seem to be pointed in a different direction.
2: Well, I think it's, uh, it's tragic because... Uh, I used to when I was in Bolivia. I used to go skiing at the world's highest ski resort, and it was a a snow field that was on top of a glacier. That's all gone. It's all melted. I think you just look around the world, and there's no doubt that the, that the climate is getting warmer, and it's having catastrophic consequences. And the one thing I would recommend you don't do, Pat, is don't buy oceanfront property in Florida. Uh,
1: no chance. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy here in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, but still, it, it, uh, I, I don't know what the answer is, uh, but clearly uh, well, I, w- I, would, I would put this number one on, uh, on our almost. list of, uh, of troubles. But
2: uh, Well, uh, it's up there, one, with, with cyber and messing around in elections and what are we going to do with Facebook and other things. But just, just to go back uh, briefly, you know, states and localities are stepping up. state of California is, is moving ahead in its own program on climate change and what to do about it and how they do things. So municipalities, other people, we don't have to wait for the federal government to take an overarching comprehensive view on this. That's
1: that's true. Uh, A lot of places are still in compliance with uh, the Paris uh, Accords, even if uh, the U.S. government uh, is not. Uh, Just a reminder, you're listening to the Global Tennessee Podcast. This is a special segment that uh, we're calling The Wide World with Dick and Pat, and uh, it's an occasional series where we uh, dip into hot, to- hot topics, trends, uh, special interest items, with uh, some analysis and uh, analysis and commentary uh, from two guys who have uh, been around a while and uh, seen a few things over the years, and uh, enjoy sharing uh, our assessments of what's uh, going on in the international landscape with you. And we're going down the uh, the top ten items uh, provided by the Council on Foreign Relations of uh, what's what's been going on in 2018 we're down to uh, the last two, and then we'll take a break. Dick, you want to round Number this up? Number two
2: is the weakening of the West worsens, and uh, the, the question of what is the West, and who are our friends, and how all this comes together. Uh, in 2018, it wasn't a good year. Uh, friend after friend uh, faced domestic problems that made it hard for them to uh, act uh, and to look beyond their borders. The UK is continuing to struggle with this decision of Brexit or to leave the European Union. Uh, France has its new leader Macron, but he uh, was providing some hope that maybe he could roll back some of this populism and nationalism, but now he has been hit hard by the yellow vest protests by people who are saying that he wanted to raise taxes on gasoline and they're saying, wait a minute, we don't live in the, ta- in the city, we don't have subways and we don't have buses, we can't afford it. Um, Chancellor Merkel, Donald Trump's good friend Angela, she is going to step down and as a result of basically populist pressures within Germany. My sense is the overarching thing that's happening is, is fear and the concern that somehow my country, the fear of others, my country isn't going to be my country if we let all these foreigners in. And that's leading to a lot of right-wing election victories in Europe.
1: Well, I, I think it's uh, uh, the proliferation of fear and anger in, in uh, politics around the world. If you look at the underlying causes of uh, the, the uh, exit vote in the uh, Brexit referendum a couple of years ago, uh, it, it, it goes back to not just uh, the changing demographics of the society in the United Kingdom, but also anxiety over the economic issues, and uh, that uh, can be seized upon by um, opponents of uh, this or that government, and uh, many of them uh, uh, on the extremes of both the left and the right, and uh, it's uh, been de- destabilizing in a number of our, uh, our partners.
2: Number one, Trump triggers a trade war and more, says the Council on Foreign Relations. I want tariffs, Mr. Trump told his advisors in July 17th and in 2018, he got his wish. Um, Big trade disputes going on with China, with Europe, what's going on in the rest of the world. It's uh, baffling to me what he is trying to do and why he is trying to do it. Basically, tariffs are taxes, and the tax is borne by the consumer of the item that you're going to uh, take care take going to buy. So where we go on all this, I I don't think anybody knows. Uh, He supposedly renegotiated NAFTA, but basically uh, what he came out with was the same kind of agreement with a few little tweaks here and there, which is fine. I mean, uh, any kind of trade agreement you have should be looked at periodically, and Subject to revision, but to try to throw things out and to say that trade is not a useful thing is just stupid.
1: Well, it, the uh, uh, the administration started on day one by uh, nullifying the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, which became a campaign issue, and even uh, Hillary Clinton, at uh, at some point, had to say that she opposed it. Uh, it had become such a lionized. Uh, focus of of the conversation in the campaign and frankly I don't think very many Americans could tell you much about what the TPP was was all about Uh, but it was uh, it was crafted to be ultimately in America's interest it did uh, hedge put a hedge between uh, economic partners in in Asia with uh, with China China was outside of the TPP so uh, trade uh, became kind of a whipping post uh, for, uh, for the campaign, and that carried into uh, the, the policymaking of, of the administration.
2: Yeah, and, that, and the, the rest of the world is moving ahead on these things, and we're not. Uh, Japan-EU Economic Partnership Agreement was signed uh, in July, and that, that sets up uh, roughly trade concerning 30% of the world's trade. Uh, the TTP, the United States, has pulled out of that, but almost all the Asian countries that were involved, and some in Latin America, have gone ahead with the agreement. Right. Without they, the United States.
1: They did, and in fact, it's uh, it's in the news today. The, the uh, new agreement, which was just signed by the 11 nations that were left behind when the United States uh, withdrew from the TPP, signed the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Or the CPTPP. Now, this uh, it, it basically is a replica of the TPP, but it opens the door to China, and China is actively considering becoming uh, a member of this, uh, since they they see that uh, it's an opportunity for them to uh, seize some trade relationships that the U.S. has forsaken, especially in view of the uh, the eruption of trade conflicts between the United States and China. So. We uh, we may look back at the TPP as uh, as a missed opportunity uh, that we handed off uh, to China to uh, to do a, a better trade relationship with uh, with our economic partners in, in uh, Asia.
2: Yeah, maybe one last thing. I think in October the uh, United States informed Russia that it was pulling out of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces treaty because Russia had been violating the terms of the treaty. Uh, this is a big deal more in Europe than it is in the United States, but the INF Treaty basically banned a class of weapons that could be fielded and shot off within 20 or 30 minutes. And you could go from Moscow to London, and there's absolutely almost no defense against it because you don't have any time to defend against it. So the idea was to banish all these weapons. I don't know why we just pulled out unilaterally without trying to engage and saying, let's, let's Talk about this, and let's re-ratify that agreement and make sure that we stay with the INF Treaty.
1: Well, we're going to be uh, talking about nuclear weapons in uh, February at the World Affairs Council. We have uh, Mr. Joseph Serencioni uh, from Plowshares. Uh, he's a, a very widely recognized expert on uh, nuclear issues. Uh, he's been working in Washington in policymaking positions and as the uh, president and CEO of Plowshares. And I'm sure uh, many of our listeners will uh, recognize him from uh, many of the appearances he makes on uh, uh, talking opportunities and cable news outlets and and other uh, areas. But uh, Mr. Cerencioni will be uh, with us on February 11th at Belmont for a town hall. And I'm sure he'll be talking about uh, that particular agreement as well as uh, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, the North Korean nuclear issue. But in terms of uh, the, the uh, cancellation of the withdrawal from the INF Treaty, uh, it does uh, portend uh, a return to uh, days that you know, we had s- hoped to uh, have uh, put out of our national uh, conversations about national security and defense issues. Uh, there's, there's been articles uh, President Putin has talked about, the potential for nuclear war and uh, building new uh, hypersonic uh, weapons, and so we're 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 back to nuclear militarism uh, on on both sides of what had been the Cold War, and we see the relationship with Russia um, really in, in a bad place. So and down,
2: down the road, Pat, what what uh, bothers me a lot is when the the Europeans basically could compen- depend on the United States for. After the Second World War, NATO was formed. We had strong alliances that were very good. Um, if I were a Germany now, I would say, How do I protect my country? I don't have nuclear weapons. Right? If I were a Japan now, you've got this guy in North Korea who's got nuclear weapons. Can we rely on the United States, or are you going to see nuclear proliferation occurring across the board?
1: Well, it's, um, you know, we're. we're we're in a, a bad spot in a lot of these relationships, and, and the trend lines uh, don't suggest that it's going to get any better in the 2019. Well, we're going to take a break. This is uh, Global Tennessee, a uh, podcast of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and uh, I'm Pat Ryan. I'm here with Ambassador Dick Bowers. Uh, we're two guys who've been around and uh, have seen some things and, and don't mind sharing our uh, opinions and observations and analysis. On, uh, on the uh, trends and uh, hot topics in the news and international relations. And today we're going through a review of 2018, and we'll uh, take a break and come back and talk a little bit about what's on the horizon for 2019. Again, this is the Global Tennessee Podcast brought to you by the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at TennesseeWAC, as well as follow us on Twitter at TNWAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? Visit TNWAC.org for more information.
1: Welcome back to the Global Tennessee Podcast. I'm Pat Ryan, uh, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm here with Ambassador Dick Bowers, uh, member of the board of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, uh, career foreign service officer, former ambassador to Bolivia, and a guy who has seen and done about everything.
2: Uh, I haven't done as much as you have in submarines.
1: Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say about submarines. We could tell you what we did, but then we'd have to kill you.
2: Oh, no. Okay. We don't do that in diplomacy.
1: But uh, you've been to quite a few places that most people haven't, as in the, the tallest summit of every state in the United States of America. So Yeah, the there's,
2: th- a, there's an organization out there called High Pointers, and uh, basically the goal is to get to the highest point of every state in the United States. And then once you've done that, you can pick another country and do the highest points of Canada, well, or you can do the highest points of each country and see how many you, you, you back
1: Let in. me know when, the, when you get done with that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's on your bucket list. But let's get back into our conversation about what uh, we had going on in 2018 and uh, and what we see in 2019. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that the Tennessee World Affairs Council puts on a lot of programs to help you understand what's going on in the world. Uh, one of the uh, programs we have coming up that should be of interest to you is Mr. Joseph Cirencion. He's the CEO, President and CEO of Plowshares, which is an organization that uh, works to uh, ensure people understand what's going on in the world of nuclear proliferation and actively uh, works to uh, ensure that uh, nuclear weapons, uh, their numbers are, uh, are brought down, that awareness of the implications of proliferation uh, in the world. So this is going to be a great opportunity to, uh, to listen to Mr. to ask him questions, and that will be February 11th at Belmont. Uh, for those who are interested, uh, there will be openings for a private dinner uh, following the Global Town Hall where you can uh, have an opportunity to talk um, in more depth uh, with Mr. Cerencioni. Uh So check our tnwac.org website for information on that. Uh, coming up in February, at the end of the month, we have our uh, third Wednesday of each month, Global Dialogue. That's a lunchtime program we do with uh, people to talk about hot topics. And it's uh, held at Belmont University, our, our terrific partner here in Nashville. And for that, we'll have a topic uh, called China Rising Storm Clouds in the Western Pacific. And yours truly, uh, Pat Ryan, uh, I will be uh, the moderator of that and drawing on my uh, background as a naval officer and having served in the Pacific and uh, keeping up with what's going on in the relationship with China, the, uh, the current situation in the South China Sea, the threats against Taiwan, uh, the, uh, the relationship between uh, the United States and China in terms of our military balance in the Western Pacific and, and uh, so forth. On uh, February 24th, the Academic World Quest, a competition of high school students, will be held at Belmont, so if you're a student or a teacher uh, and you're still interested in that, there's an opportunity to sign up for that competition. Uh, it's a great chance to uh, hone your global awareness uh, education programs in your schools and an opportunity for uh, students who are interested to compete and go on to the April competition in Washington. And I hear that this year the winner of that competition, the national competition, uh, will be going on a trip to Qatar in the Persian Gulf. So that's, that's quite an interesting opportunity. Uh, we also uh, provide twice-a-month teleconferences that we uh, host in conjunction with the network of World Affairs Councils. Uh, they're called Cover to Cover And no, K-N-O-W, now, Uh, coming up at the end of uh, January, we will be talking with author Francis Fukuyama on his new book, uh, Identity, the Demand for Dignity, and the Politics of Resentment. Uh, You may also uh, recall uh, Professor Fukuyama as the author of the phrase, the end of history, so that's uh, something that uh, he will probably be fielding questions about. And then in February, we'll be talking with... uh, uh, Thomas Balicki uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations, about his new book, Plagues and the Paradox of Progress, Why the World is Getting Healthier in Worrisome Ways. So these are, uh, these are teleconferences that uh, you can uh, dial into from wherever you are, uh, listen to about 10 or 15 minutes of, uh, of commentary, and then uh, ring in with uh, your questions and, and comments uh, for these uh, book authors. And those are uh, typically at 1 p.m. Central Time, and you can register for those through the tnwac.org website. Uh, Speaking of books, um, I've uh, got a recommendation, and we're going to include in our uh, occasional editions of The Wide World with Dick and Pat. We will have uh, uh, restaurant commentary as we uh, like to explore the local uh, international eateries You know, it's
2: getting better than Nashville. When I came here a dozen years ago, there were not a lot but now you can have almost any kind of cuisine you want and most of it is wonderful for so sure go it, out there
1: and it's all over town it, uh, you it's know, all Nolan, over town. Nolansville Pike is uh, is a great area to find some international eateries yep. but uh, the East side uh, Charlotte's Pike up there, uh, out that. in the nations every, everywhere you yep. go there's uh, there's something new downtown but getting back to books um, I have a recommendation it's called the hundred year marathon and this is uh, subtitled China's Secret Strategy to Replace America as the Global Superpower by Michael Pillsbury. And uh, this was uh, highly recommended, and it's the number one national bestseller. Uh, Mr. Pillsbury is the director of the Center for Chinese Strategy at the Hudson Institute, and he served in the eight presidential administrations. Uh, it's uh, fair to say that he is a hawk on China, and I think, as, uh, you know, Dick, you might agree that 2018 may be remembered as a year that a lot of public opinion and institutional decision-making turned the corner on China, that uh, the uh, relationship is more than just uh, hand-in-hand working on building uh, a relative uh, uh, economic relationships, but that the belief that uh, uh, China's rise is not only about cooperation, diplomacy, and free trade – but that uh, they might have had a different plan all along. So take a look at uh, the 100-Year Marathon, and it's um, uh, a concise uh, read Michael on Phillips, right. by, by uh, Michael Pillsbury. Pillsbury, sorry.
2: Um, you know, Pat, he was on Fareed Zakaria. Let me just throw something out. If you're interested in international affairs, get Fareed Zakaria's weekly broadcast on CNN. It's fascinating. He's got top-notch people who he talks about. And Pillsbury was on there talking about his book a couple Uh, of weeks ago. I think it's... uh, Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, I think.
1: GPS, the Global Public Square with uh, Fareed Zakaria. It's an excellent show. Um, Some really great guests about international relations. And you have a book.
2: I have a book, too, and it's called Factfulness. F-A-C-T-F-U-L-N-E-S-S. Basically, when most Americans are asked about global trends, like what percentage of the world population lives in poverty or how what percentage of girls finish high school, uh, is the world's population increasing or decreasing, we get the answers wrong. And in fact... Uh, Chimpanzees choosing random answers do better than the average American <laughs> does.
1: Well, I think a lot of people will will uh, recall having seen uh, Mr. Rossling on YouTube videos. Hans
2: Rossling is the author of Factfulness, and he is on YouTube. If you've never seen him, go to YouTube. Hans Rossling, H-A-N-S, last name R-O-S-L-I-N-G. He's and, a Sweden. and
1: we'll have the links uh, posted to the podcast notes so you can find uh,
2: absolutely fascinating find these book books. about the way in which to view the world and gives you paradigms of how you can understand what's going on in the world better. And finally on this, and I quote a guy that I admire very much, one of the most important books I've ever read, An Indispensable Guide to Thinking Clearly About the World. So says Bill Gates. So basic theme is the world is getting better than you think it has, and picking up on that, uh, Nicholas Kristof, who is a Opinion columnist with the New York Times had a great article um, just a day ago, right? And he's talking about why 2018 was the best year in human history. I know we're supposed to be moving on to 2019, but 2018, according to Christoph, he says 2018 was actually the best year in human history, according to Christoph. Each day, on average, another 295,000 uh, people around the world gained access to electricity. Another 305,000 were able to access clean drinking water for the first time. An additional 620,000 people were able to get online for the first time. Never before, says Christoph, has such a large portion of humanity been literate, enjoyed a middle-class cushion, lived such long lives, and had access to family planning or been confident that the children that their children would survive now, that doesn't mean we haven't got problems and we've got more to do but things are not as bad as many people say they it's are it's
1: not all a downer and we'll be uh, the first to uh, present information uh, that uh, hopefully suggests uh, the world does have some bright spots
2: yeah, but grab the get that book factfulness you will really enjoy reading and i i, I mean i've bounced around the world for 35 40 years but i found this absolutely a wonderful book to read and the way it's put together to help you view the world.
1: Sounds good. This is the uh, Global Tennessee Podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm Pat Ryan here with uh, Ambassador Dick Bowers, and we're talking about what's going on in the world in 2018, and we're going to talk a little bit about 2019, and we're going to hold off to our next uh, presentation of The Wide World with Dick and Pat to talk in detail about uh, kind of a continental look uh, where where things are happening in 2019. But we just want to hit a couple of high high spots here before we sign off. And, uh, Dick, I, I think uh, you and I agreed on a couple of bullets we'd like to talk about, and one of them is the impact of domestic turmoil on what's going on in the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, happening all over the world where – People, people, in US, people are mo- mobilizing. US, and getting a, well, US, U.S. politics, the reaction to U.S. What? politics is is hitting everywhere, but it's hitting in the United States as well. I mean, your people are out; they're voting more than they did. The millennials are engaging, right? Uh, the Me Too movement, all these kinds of things going on. In the world itself, we are more interconnected than ever. So people know what's going on in other places, mm-hmm. and they're not willing to sit there and say, "Wait a minute, how come they got so much?" and we got so little. Another great book, Guns, Germs, and Steel. You know, the, the question is asked, how come you white guys got so much cargo? Asked by an Indonesian right? uh, by, in, from Borneo. And it's a fascinating discussion where you set up, if you've got so much and we've got so little, what's going to happen? What are the dynamics there?
1: Right. So. Um, we also uh, have on our, our short list here decline of uh, multilateralism.
2: Yeah, we came out of the First World War with our political leadership wanting to establish institutions to ensure there wouldn't be a Second World War. And that was called the League of Nations. For a lot of different reasons, it never happened in the United States. And the peace treaty coming out of the sec- First World War set the conditions to have the Second World War. And at the Second World War, we were out of it for several years, started in, 19, in the 30s in, uh, in Asia, and then in 39 in Europe. And it wasn't until the end of 41 that, that we were attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor and therefore ended up getting into the war. But at the end of that war, the United States was the leader to create institutions so we would not have such wars again. And that was multilateralism. It was based on friends. It was based on institutions, both financial and defensive, military, and now those institutions are under attack. Uh, I think, and, the, and these
1: are these run the full range of economic institutions: the Bretton Woods Conference, the Bretton world, Woods Conference, w- the United world Bank, IMF. United
2: Nations, IMF, World Bank, uh, Organization of American States. All these kinds of institutions, where the concept is working together, we can have a better world than being solo. Right. And now a lot of those ideas are under attack by people who think that somehow being involved in the world and working with others in the world, we're being suckers. I think we're not being suckers. I think we're being prudent when we get involved and have good friendships.
1: Well, you know, there's uh, the the recent pronouncement by President Trump that he's a nationalist, not a globalist, and he sees people who uh, are interested in the world as not being interested in making America a, a o-
2: prosperous place over christmas we had a 50th anniversary you have any idea what we celebrated 50th anniversary of an event that occurred christmas 50 years ago I'll give you a hint. It's a big rocket, and it went to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo 8.
1: Oh, the uh, the, Earth, the the Earth Earthrise uh, the, mission. And,
2: and exactly. That photograph, for the, for the first time in human history, we are beyond the boundaries of Earth, and we're on the, at the moon, orbiting the moon, looking back at the Earth. Right. We are one, all in this together. One place. Yeah. yeah. And if we don't work out how we live together and work together, you know, Good neighbors, that's like, for me, international relations is like being in the neighborhood. If you have good neighbors, you look out for each other, take care of each other, you're going to have a better life than if everybody's at everybody's throat and trying to take advantage of somebody. Kind of like
1: well, so, and, you know, there's a great controversy over whether the United States is the global policeman. Uh, it, if there's not a cop on the block, that's a vacuum and, and bad things are going to happen. Uh
2: th- The United Nations was set up so there would be cops on the block. Now, it hasn't worked as well as everybody thought it should or that they wanted it to work. And a lot of that has the tensions that come into play. The Security Council has not acted the way the Security Council was supposed to act traditionally under the treaty, except for the Korean issue when uh, Russia boycotted the meeting and therefore the United Nations went in and supported South Korea. Yeah. But there's a lot of, lot of things to going on out there. For, for me, uh, it's a beautiful big world, learning other peoples, learning other cultures, learning other languages. It makes life so much more interesting than just saying, oh, I've got to be afraid of these foreigners.
1: The last uh, bullet we want to talk about is the uh, relationship in the world. The United States is standing in the world. As uh, countries look at what's happening in our country with uh, an arguably a division among people from left and right and red and blue and uh, um, different color ball caps, whatever, whatever, however you want to describe it, we, we do have – people who are seeing things one way and, and others who see things another way. And and here at the Tennessee World Affairs Council, we are a nonpartisan organization. Uh, but clearly, when uh, we objectively look at what's going on in the world, the impact of the Trump administration on the U.S. standing and relationship uh, in the world is uh, is a significant uh, concern. Uh, so that's something, and as we look at 2019, we'll have to see what sorts of relationships are affected by the uh, performance of, of the current administration.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you, when you go down and make slanderous statements standing at the Mexican border looking across at Mexicans and tell them how bad they are, that's just, that's just not the way to behave in my, my book. So we've got the world is looking to the United States and has looked to the United States for years as the leader of the free world. And we are throwing that leadership role away, as far as I'm concerned, and it's tragic.
1: Well, that's uh, probably not. But the, get
2: factfulness; <laughs> it'll it'll make you feel better about about what's going on.
1: And, and read the Christoph piece about uh, how how good things are for the human race. Uh, but uh, there are some issues that we will continue to keep our eye on in the next edition of uh, of our segment of the Global Tennessee Podcast that uh, that Dick and I will be. Doing on an occasional basis, uh, we'll uh, dig down deeper into uh, 2019 and uh, a tour de horizon, a, a look at uh, by con- continent by continent of what's uh, what's happening in the world, and we uh, we hope to bring that to you soon enough. A couple of uh, recommendations so to, uh, to take a look at for your understanding of what's happening in the world in 2019, uh, The Economist, which is the the finest written. Words, English uh, language. It, it, well, probably in any language, but uh, I, I hold them in very high esteem, and they yeah, put I, out. I agree. They put out a publication every year called the World in and fill in the blank. So the World in 2019 by the Economist. Uh, you might actually have to pay for that. I don't think it's available free online, uh, but you can get um, the Council on Foreign Relations conflicts to watch in 2019, and the uh, links to those. Uh, things will be in the podcast notes, so you can find those there. Again, take a look at tnwac.org for information about our calendar, about becoming a member, about uh, making a donation to the Tennessee World World Affairs Council, about our podcasts. Uh, We have an archive of uh, previous uh, editions, uh, episodes of the podcast that you'll find of interest, and uh, we will bring you more, and um, please tell us... What you would like to see, uh, suggest uh, via email to info at org, and uh, provide some feedback on what we're doing. And when you uh, take a look at uh, iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast, please take uh, a minute uh, to review the podcast so that others may uh, be led in the direction of information about what's going on in the world uh, with a local peg of Nashville, Middle Tennessee, and The wider state of Tennessee from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, Ambassador Dick Bowers, thanks for joining me today to talk about. My uh, pleasure, Pat. Thanks. What's going on in the world?
2: We'll see you again.
1: Okay. That's it from uh, The Wide World with Dick and Pat at the Global Tennessee Podcast. Have a good day.
0: This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan, and the voice of Global Tennessee, as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy. I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org podcast for more information.